Namaste and welcome to another edition of the Bharatvarta Weekly. I'm Roshan Karepa. You didn't see me for a couple of weeks, but I'm back. Uh, so I have with me Nirav Kanodra and Prasanna Vishwanathan. And we're going to run you through uh, the news and events of the week that was. Um, as always, uh, let's begin with the episode that we put out last week. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation. Uh, it was really a distinct uh, privilege and honor to talk to uh, you know, Meenakshi Jain, ma'am, right? Um, so she's probably, I think, you know, one of the top 10 people in the last 30 years who have kind of shaped uh, the narrative on very important issues, uh, right? Her book on uh, Ayodhya or, uh, you know, Sati, Sati Brata and, and so on and so forth. Um, and here, I think, uh, you know, uh, it was it was great to talk to her about her journey itself. She spoke about, you know, how difficult it was uh, initially and how, you know, the Marxist historians had a stranglehold on academia and the, the general narrative as such and uh, uh, how she went uh, direct to readers, uh, you know, uh, through her narrative style of uh, writing and uh, spoke a fair bit about her book as well, Vasudeva Krishna and Mathura. Uh, so Vivek, who was uh, co-hosting this with me, had very pointed questions on uh, the book and excellent discussion overall and definitely something for the history buffs and enthusiasts uh, to check it out. So, all right, speaking of history, um, last week history was made. The Kashi Corridor was inaugurated by Prime Minister Modi. Uh, he reached the temple complex, uh, took a dip in the Ganga River and addressed a gathering of over 3,000 3, guests, uh, asking them to make three resolutions, cleanliness, creation, and Atmanirbar Bharat. The first phase will give pilgrims a smooth 400 meter walk from the Ghat to the centuries old Shiva temple. The corridor around the temple is now spread over 5 lakh square feet, up from the earlier 3,000 square feet. After the ceremony, Modi and, uh, sorry, after the ceremony, Prime Minister Modi and uh, uh, the UP uh, Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath had lunch with the workers who built the corridor. Uh, Prasanna, this was an epic moment, right? Epic, epic moment, I would say. I, I would kind of trace the journey uh, from the time Modi, uh, Prime Minister Modi filed uh, his nomination for the first time uh, uh, in the run-up to the 2014 election, okay? And I think that that was a, such a, you know, not only electorally significant in the sense that, you know, he uh, kind of let uh, BJP's political charge uh, in UP from the front, uh, I mean, in terms of the election signaling, but it was also a very critical civilizational signaling as such, you know, because uh, Kashi uh, has been epitomizes the uh, Indian civilizational ethos in terms of, you know, the uh, storied uh, past that it has and to the current challenges that it uh, faces, actually, you know, the city has been in need of uh, infrastructure upgrade and, you know, like it kind of becomes symbolic of a lot of things that was wrong with the country on, I mean, on one hand, you know, like you kind of uh, boast about her, uh, great past, but the appalling civil condition, uh, the civic conditions, you know, the filth, the dirt, uh, extremely uh, terrible conditions in which the pilgrims had to uh, offer their, uh, you know, prayers in the most holiest uh, Hindu spot. I think like it was very convenient for, I think, the earlier idea of India uh, system, right? Like pay a lip service to the 
greatness and continuity of the hindus but at the same time also shame hindus that see the, look at your holiest places and how dirty have you maintained you know that kind of conveniently i mean you could signal to your domestic audience that you are in touch with the hindu ethos while you know you are uh, you are also able to uh, uh, you know at, at a global stage you know it is very useful to shame india actually i think so i think modi picked a very tough battle and uh, has persisted through this you know and i think this is like a enormous um, Uh, effort that goes into doing this entire exercise and we've just talking only about the phase one actually i think like another decade i'm sure you know the kind of infrastructure uh, initiatives that prime minister uh, has envisaged for this particular city i think this is going to be a complete transformation of uh, kashi you know personally very happy that one of my uh, uh, team members uh, harsha but has been you know in the forefront of chronicling the transformation of kashi you know she's made multiple visits there she's tracked how this entire project has come through starting from the land acquisition challenge and of course there are a lot of entrenched inter, uh, interests you know who quote uh, who also masquerade as traditionalist and say that this is like a assault on the heritage and all that uh, which is another major uh, resistance that had to be overcome through very carefully navigating through the uh, challenges you know so basically i think this is an excellent project where uh, the prime minister you know uh, most unambiguously used his political capital to signal that you know this is a civilizational movement of india that has arrived and it's up to the people to grab it and take it forward actually so uh, within the i would not say the limitation within the framework of the democratic polity uh, i think this is this is as much as it can get in terms of uh, explicit signaling that india is just not uh, merely a constitutional construct it is also yeah. a civilizational state actually so uh, looking forward to the further developments in that uh, kashi corridor i'm sure uh, you know from cleaning up of the river to the multiple infrastructure projects there's a ropeway uh, that is going to be launched so i mean lot of lot of things are happening and i think of course up this kashi corridor is a part of a larger infrastructure upgrade that's happening with multitude of expressways you know yesterday there was a fifth expressway which is the longest expressway in up which was launched actually i mean and one good thing in terms of how the infrastructure is being developed in up is that you know land acquisitions are completed before the projects are uh, launched actually. you know so this even this ganga expressway i think almost 98% of the land acquisition is complete so you know you have to look at it as a whole uh, resurgence physical and as well as uh, the the you know either ayodhya temple coming up varanasi uh, you know even the buddhist circuit in uh, pubanchal which was revived very very inspiring actually i hope that the prime minister and the government whichever government comes to power next chase the course and i think this is a very critical moment because you know this entire purva chal and parts of bihar and all is where you know you have a huge concentration of people living but they've not got the kind of infrastructure whether physical medical uh, social and so i think this is like a very historic moment where if india can for the next decade take its development momentum to these parts which have never been touched so far you know like uh, aims for gorakhpur for instance got a aims very recently right actually so i mean it has been the hot spot of uh, so many kids dying over the years without uh, even getting reported in the media and all that finally they got a good uh, tertiary healthcare uh, option so you know like if this is going to happen i think we'll have uh, roads connected people connected markets connected you know you'll have a unleashing of tremendous human capital potential 
which is going to emerge from that pocket of india you know which sadly you can't blame the people there you know it's about the lack of opportunities and lack of infrastructure and all and almost everybody who wanted to have a higher quality of life or standard of living they almost had to migrate to delhi possibly to mumbai so you know i think this can significantly change the entire region it will be very i think like a lot of people think the entire thing is just a religious uh, symbolism or a project but i think if you really look at what is happening in up including the kashi corridor i think uh, this is where i think somewhere previous prime ministers like vajpay and the previous bjp governments in up missed it out so here you are packaging both uh, uh, you know a religious narrative along with solid welfare delivery and infrastructure development this is like i mean to put it very crudely hindutva plus plus actually so you know let's see how this uh, spans out no i mean you hit the nail on the head i think uh, this has so many facets to it right i mean uh, one is the fact that you are respecting the civilizational reality of uh, the country right uh, second i mean for anyone who has been to the temple it's actually a wonder you know how so many people would gather around in this holy shrine uh do the dar- darshan and then you know experience right right because it, yeah i mean i i was there about couple of years ago and it was so while i was really uh, you know happy to have the darshan and everything while coming out i was just thinking man this is not the grandeur that uh, befits the one of the holiest shrines of our uh, uh, mm-hmm. nation right i mean um and, and simply from an economic or uh, uh, you know tourism perspective as well i mean i've said this that if you go to the us or europe i mean anything even a few hundred years old right somebody sat on a bench i mean they'll make it a site and there's a whole economy that spun around it and here we have things that are thousands of years old um, are so integral to the country right and uh, we don't give it the due respect uh, so on multiple things i think uh, you know this this was a very heartwarming uh, event i feel uh, probably the uh, best moment of the year for me Yeah. <laughs> adding on actually see one is this whole kashi complex redevelopment uh, one it has a great tourism potential so one is just domestic religious tourism that you can compare something like what the hajj gets or what uh, jerusalem gets etc as well as it can actually be like a much bigger portion where you see like people from overseas uh, foreigners who come visit india uh, basically i don't think banaras or kashi was on the map earlier and uh, this kind of puts it on the map uh, you will see like how as you mentioned people in uh, europe or us are visiting monuments which are a few hundred years old and with this temple complex it puts it on a must visit list kind of a thing right so yeah. you can get a lot of global tourism you're going to have better infrastructure better airports with this you have like locals setting up nicer home stays via either airbnb or other platforms or better hotels as well as uh, the other lesson you can take out from it is urban renewal or urban infrastructure you had a lot of houses a lot of those which were built around the whole complex right and now you kind of like acquired that and you made something much bigger which actually benefits society you are seeing redevelopment projects happening in other cities like mumbai which i am more familiar with but the lessons from this can be used for infrastructure projects for urban renewal uh, building a better park or better uh, amenities right or a hospital college university etc and resettlement of the people around uh, i think there is a really big lesson and all yeah. of this for a cause uh, which is reflecting like our older uh, civilization as well as 
enabling uh, people to go to a temple and for their religious sentiments and uh, not face all the inconveniences Absolutely. which was there earlier, right? Yeah. So if you reduce the friction in that, the people who used to visit Kashi only once in their lifetime probably might be, you might see people going there every year, right? Yeah. So I think that it's a very big booster for the local economy, tourism, society, etc. So it's it's a, a very well executed project and it has lessons in like uh, scaling similar projects in maybe different areas quite well. Yeah. No, I hope this is a template for other uh, sites in India for sure. Right. Uh, moving on. The Niti Aayog's VK Paul has projected 14 lakh cases per day of the Omicron variant of COVID. As per the central government's data, India has reported 11 cases of Omicron variant so far. However, India recorded a single day rise of 24 fresh cases yesterday. Dr. Paul said, if we look at the scale of the spread in the UK, and if there is a similar outbreak in India, then given our population, we will be at 14 lakh cases uh, every day. Uh, ICMR Director General Dr. Balram Barga also showed similar concern over Omicron, asking the population to avoid non-essential travel and mass gatherings while observing low-intensity festivities. Nirav, I mean, it seems like a, I mean, what kind of an extrapolation is this, right? So I think one is, uh, first of all, a human mind cannot easily look at like extrapolation of uh, exponential series, right? It's like, right. it's a very tough thing. Sometimes it pays to be more conservative and be cautious that I agree. I probably might not agree with the 14 lakh cases, but I do believe that it is prudent to all those who are not vaccinated to be vaccinated. I hope the government of India has already approved Bharat Biotech's co-vaccine for children, but there and Zydus Cadilla as well. Probably that has not been uh, rolled out yet. Hopefully there are some measures to roll it out because one third of our population is below 18. So hopefully all of them do get vaccinated as well. I think in the fighting of the virus, yes, probably being prudent is good. To be fair, even a few thousand cases is too many. And even one death is one death too many, right? So as much as you can avoid sensibly, but you cannot shut the country down because the economic impact or the side effects of that can be uh, much worse, right? So yes, it, it pays to be prudent. Uh, a lot of these people who are assigned these task forces, uh, say in Niti Aayog, etc., uh, they would like to err on the side of being more conservative, more cautious, right? It's a lot of like these economists and banks who kind of, they say they've uh, successfully forecasted 10 of the last two recessions, right? So always people are always cautious, a little more uh, prudent, but yes, I think uh, all the other recommendations, right? I think they are to be followed. I do believe we'll see a spike in cases. Omicron has seen that. Uh, thankfully in South Africa, we've seen a fall after it's hit a peak. I don't know if it is due to lower testing. I am not so sure about the data over there, but it seems to be quite good. Uh, they were the first to sequence it actually, while probably it started in Europe somewhere. So hopefully it's a milder version. We treat it as an endemic disease. Maybe this kind of creates a panic where people rush in to get their second doses or rush in to get their kids vaccinated reduces vaccine hesitancy. So hopefully, fingers crossed, I think we saw a peak of 4 lakh cases in uh, early May this year. And that was uh, really drastic. I think 14 lakh uh, would be just devastating. I, I probably think we've, re we've got a lot of, we've reached sort of herd immunity via infections plus vaccination. So this might not be true, but uh, it always is uh, good to remain uh, safe and prudent. Right. Yeah. So in a nutshell, Vaccination, yes. Lockdown, no. Precaution, yes. Panic, no. Yes, right? absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> right. 
All right, moving on. Uh, Bhutan has uh, conferred its highest civilian decoration on Prime Minister Modi. The award, known as the Order of the Druk Gyalpo, was given to the PM to celebrate India's close ties with Bhutan. This comes at a time when China is pressuring Bhutan to settle a border deal catalyzed by military presence at the Himalayan country's borders. Prime Minister Modi expressed gratitude towards the King of Bhutan for the honor, saying he was deeply touched by the warm gesture on the occasion of the National Day of Bhutan. Uh, well, even more interesting, controversy has unfolded after the BCCI and Virat Kohli uh, clashed over the T20 captaincy. The BCCI has said that they requested uh, Virat to not step down as the captain for the T20 team after removing him as a test captain. Kohli, however, has uh, stated that nobody asked him not to relinquish the uh, T20 captaincy. Uh, reportedly, Saurav Ganguly had personally asked him not to step down as the skipper. He has now ceased to comment on the matter, stating that the BCCI is dealing with the issue. The media has now turned this into the biggest drama since the Kumle versus Kohli debacle in 2018. Nirav, your thoughts? Okay, so I think there's a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, you could call it uh, people coming out with their own versions and coming out to the media, it tells you that uh, not, not all is well uh, within uh, the BCCI. There's some breakdown in communication between, uh, say, BCCI Chief Saurav Ganguly, uh, Virat Kohli and uh, Rohit Sharma, who has been given the, earlier he was given the T20 captaincy and now ODI captaincy as well. And you're also seeing, uh, there are talks about like Rohit Sharma not traveling for the test series to South Africa. And uh, Virat Kohli probably earlier there were rumors that he won't be a part of the ODI series, which now coming out in the press conference, he says that uh, he will be a part of it. So I think there's a bit of breakdown in communication. I think uh, uh, personally, I think like captaincy probably comes with a shelf life. Uh, Indian team has done quite well, but like sadly, it's uh, not won any ICC tournaments under Virat Kohli. So maybe you need some sort of a fresh uh, thought or a uh, fresh perspective. Virat Kohli is obviously like one of the best batsmen in the world. He's a very talented cricketer, very great cricketer. His inputs to the team would be like valid uh, and important as well as a senior player. But maybe I think uh, you go in one direction, one line too long. You need some sort of uh, change. Uh, but the whole thing could have been communicated better. I think everybody should have been on the same page. I think to the outside world, even if there's a transition, there's always someone who's unhappy. And if Saurav Ganguly wanted to, whether he wanted to or no, uh, I think this washing dirty linen in public is kind of giving the cricket team a bad name. Uh, hopefully, the focus moves back to cricket and performances on the field rather than off the field. And in the South Africa series, uh, that's one country where India has never won a test series. So, uh, they've been traveling there since like 92. And oh, we came close, right? I mean, I think yeah, uh, we came close a couple of times. Uh, the last I remember Srishant uh, yes. having like a dream spell. Yes, exactly. So we've, we've lost a couple of series. It's been close series, but we've never won a series there. And uh -huh. this whole uh, resurgence of this team actually started from the Johannesburg test, which we won in South Africa. And after that, we've gone and, and won, beat England in England. We beat Australia in Australia, right? So I think uh, it's time for uh, Indian team to... Uh, be united inside and uh, try and beat South Africa and South Africa. I think uh, like how they moved on after the Kumle Kohli controversy, I think hopefully all the team members move on after this controversy and focus on cricket. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I hope the focus uh, gets back to cricket. 
right? I think there's more politics in sports than in politics these days, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in other news, the center has decided to raise the legal age of marriageable, uh, the legal age of marriage for women from 18 to 21. The decision is based on the recommendation of a four-member task force led by former Samta Party chief, uh, Ms. Jaya Jaitley. This task force was looking into increasing the age of marriage and its implication on women and uh, child health. The proposed bill may also contain amendments to various personal laws relating to marriage of various communities to ensure a uniform age of marriage. Uh, Prasanna, there's been some controversy, I would say, on Twitter about this. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. I mean, offline how people react to this. But uh, yeah, uh, would love to know what your thoughts are. It was based on the recommendation, as you just pointed out, of the uh, Jaitley uh, panel. Uh, personally, you know, I I, uh, I think like this is a good step, uh, establishing parity for the marriageable age between both the genders. And good thing that they're doing in terms of um, uh, this particular uh, amendment is that I think uh, consequential amendments will be made in the personal law of, uh, you know, uh, Islam, Christianity, uh, Special Marriages Act, everything actually. So, you know, this is also going to be a general, uh, gender neutral kind of an uh, uh, legislative change, which means that this particular change is largely driven by very secular considerations. According to me, like, you know, basically, I think the entire argument is that it gives that much more time for the uh, girls or the women to upskill, you know, probably have better access to education and, you know, make much more informed decisions uh, on the marriage, which, which according to me, looks very unexceptionable argument. And of course, you will have the uh, more nuanced position that, you know, while this might be a, a good step and it's almost that, you know, educated, at least among the educated and probably uh, the economically uh, well-off middle class, almost this uh, 21 is already, uh, you know, even if it's not mandated by the law, it's almost like women get married only after, uh, I mean, 21, 22. I think the average age, marriage age in India is around 22.5 or something like that. So, you know, already there is a, a transformation in the society. But this marks the fact that there are, you know, uh, significant religious groups and economically vulnerable groups where women do get married uh, very young, actually. So, you know, this entire position that state shouldn't be do, do anything thing it's basically education awareness that will drive to it i mean it's a valid argument and then of course there is this extreme uh, libertarian position that you know state should not interfere in any uh, uh, such things because you know even in uh, western societies you don't have any mandated uh, age and all that i mean i don't have much sympathy with that kind of position you know like especially in a country like india we do have uh, well directed uh, state measures that have had beneficial effect on the long term you know so that kind of uh, argument doesn't have much appeal to me. The only thing is possibly educate awareness and then legislate. Uh, that could be one model that could have been taken. But I, I think overall, uh, overall, uh, uh, you know, a step in the uh, right direction done based on secular considerations. And I hope that, you know, it does not convert it into a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, uh, religious issue actually like but early signals doesn't seem quite encouraging you know the the kind of uh, uh, you know inflammatory uh, and you know provocative uh, comments coming especially from uh, some uh, islamic politicians uh, some especially from the 
samajwadi party uh, doesn't seem very encouraging that i think this might be converted into another uh, uh uh you know they'll say that this particular law though despite the fact that you know i mean this is gender i mean this is religious neutral uh, amendment and um, it's going to be uh, see actually I, the one other point is that there have been lot of uh, uh courts right uh, uh though the, the though the child marriage prohibition act uh, explicitly keeps the marriage age as 18 and 21 for the genders currently which will be now amended to make it in parity there have been a lot of cases like say who people who have uh, you know married under the laws related to muslim marriages 15 year old girls 16 year old girls i mean i think like there as as uh, soon as you attain puberty or eligible to get married so you know the courts have kind of privileged the personal laws over the uh, uh the child prohibition uh, act which is applicable largely to only the hindu and the special marriage act so to that extent if these things are corrected and you kind of make it 21 across board i think uh you know see i think like 15 16 year old uh, i mean i don't know a lot of people who are in the position of privilege uh are in, i mean arguing that you know this choice should be with the parents seem like quite uh, troubling to me uh but anyway i am uh, i think this is this is something that was i think prime minister announced in the independence day address that you know this marriage age proposal is under consideration so i think this is a it's a good step i mean uh, no, i think one thing is probably i mean uh, it might be interesting to see the correlation between you know economic uh, situation and marriageable age right because my hunch is i think economically well off people marry later right <laughs> so i mean that's just anecdotally true right and uh, no i so, think i think see let's be uh, uh, we must have a very honest discussion that you know like uh, uh, especially among hindus almost over the years it has become that uh, you know there have been uh, winds of change have blown and you know people uh, i mean of course hindu uh, uh, personal laws were Uh, touched as early as during the independence but over the period of time uh, because it's not very dogmatic and people are amenable to persuasion and robust arguments i think over the period of time i think the uh, marriage age is fairly like you say you know uh, is a function unless it's a very extreme poverty type of a situation or something like that i don't think so there is any religious consideration driving marriages early marriage for women or like say you know because the book says that they have to be married or they are eligible to be married once they attain puberty i think that is not there among at least the uh, 80% hindu community i would say uh, conviction right and uh, this is also seen as a perhaps a precursor for the uniform civil code right <laughs> yeah you could say that actually I mean, see, speculation I, at this point of time yeah but, i yeah. think this is kind of critically addresses at least at least there is a uniformity in terms of the age uh, for the marriage i think uh, you could argue that well uh, but i think it's, it it takes much more than all this uh, probably to have the uniform civil i think just adding a bit i think uh, two key things what uh, this probably does is uh, it reduces uh, maternal mortality right. and any complications uh, when it goes like a little bit higher right from 18 to 21 and two this encourages two things uh, say like at the bottom of the pyramid 
like a lot of people feel that uh, like women should be married off as soon as like they're legally allowed and probably this allows maybe three extra years of education either through like a diploma course or uh, like a like a bachelor's degree probably maybe in anything so allows for like more women either to be uh, educated or like women uh, instead of just going from like reaching high school passing high school and then getting married and raising a family maybe allows women to be a part of the workforce as well correct so uh, india severely has uh, like the very very poor where women are forced to work they are the ones who are working and the very rich and the very educated they are working but it has a u shaped curve for women's participation in the labor force Absolutely. so this Great could point. also change so i think yeah. you know uh, instead of looking at it in terms of like uh, everything through like a religious angle or right. everything through a left versus right angle i think the positive offshoots to society could be drastic uh, a lot of women even if they have got like a bachelor's degree probably helps a long way each year of education uh, additional education goes a long way in not just for them to be able to raise their families a bit better as well as in future like earning potential or uh, that sort right so uh, in this sense i think uh, even though like a lot of people are uh, they are opposing for the sake of opposition to political party uh i think the positive offshoots here would be tremendous tremendous see i think like if this is like typical progressive uh typically for which something that left would stand for in a yeah. conventional political uh, you know understanding right like this is yeah. like women's empowerment this is like better health outcomes there are no arguments about it actually but i think like i mean it, the 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 i don't know whether it's the political polarization or the perversion of the left discourse that i i find even feminist and uh, uh, you know progressive left uh, questioning this move uh, of course you know that they are uh, i mean they are claiming with all sorts of very silly reasons but they 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 don't want to acknowledge and, and probably they see it as a uh, you know a step that is probably aimed at uh, one particular community you know i mean of course they can't state it because that also acknowledges that uh, uh, problem in that community they don't even want to flag it but they are kind of being very clever by half by using all kinds of uh, uh, you know free choices and other type of arguments to oppose what is like probably a very progressive step you know so this entire uh, perversion of the discourse is quite tragic to say the least that you know you can't do a good thing uh where you know people just use it as a uh, like in the left like in the us the left would be actually praising this and it would be the right which would be criticizing it right yeah so absolutely no i mean anytime i am just fascinated actually you know something which is which i assume is perhaps common sense i i just notice so many nuances to it when you, when you just look at opinions right i mean that that you have never even considered right i mean it's it's yeah no, i saw one hindu traditionalist arguing that basically the government is doing because they want to make the women workforce available to the multinational companies yeah. i saw that the, uh, what you call doing those uh, uh, dull dreary jobs i mean you think it's like i don't know it just gets it's crazy <laughs> i i think actually if like more women enter the workforce uh you will see like a massive multiplier effect correct correct it is, yeah it is very much beneficial to society so maybe i am biased i am biased i grew up no, with no, a no, no, no. i think i think it's yeah, pretty... i i absolutely believe this I, 
I think I think this entire move is driven by uh, the kind of uh, secular outcomes, right? Like a, a better uh, uh, workforce participation, one for sure, be- yeah. better health co- outcomes, and you know, like younger the women uh, giving birth to the kids, you know, the uh, consequential uh, health issues for the mother as well as the kid. Mother as well as these are all the things on which India is shamed on global uh, metrics, yes. right? Actually, yeah, yeah. so so I think any government with the heart in the right place would be. Uh, doing things like that actually I mean and it's also not that like they're not doing other uh, uh, things in terms of improving nutrition improving uh, maternal health uh, initiatives and all that you know like it's almost cast as if you you got to do a you got to do b and you also got to do c it doesn't mean that you just because uh, I mean there is one legislation there is nothing happened on happening on the welfare side right it's all a comprehensive package that works in tandem I mean I I, I mean I think this commonsensical uh, uh, what you call viewpoint somehow goes missing completely uh, in today's polarizing times. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, in some exciting news, uh, Kidambi Srikanth has qualified for the men's singles final of the World Badminton Championship uh, with a win over another Indian, Lakshya Sen. The 28-year-old former world number one will be the first Indian to play the men's single final. Uh, some honorable mentions for this contention are Prakash Padukone in 1983 and Sai Praneet uh, in 2019, who both lost in the semi-finals. In the final, Srikanth will face Singapore's Lokian Yu, who defeated Denmark's Anders Antonsen 23-21-21-14 in the other semi-final. Nirav, will you be watching this closely? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, so this is what we are seeing is uh, Indian badminton has been uh, consistently performing. Uh, so we've had... Uh, in the WBF, the World Badminton Finals uh, is a marquee year-end event. Uh, we've had uh, previous winners as well. So PV Sindhu and uh, Sa- uh, uh, Saina Nehwal have reached the finals, right? And PV Sindhu has won it. Uh, but this is the first male uh, badminton player to reach the finals. Uh, we also had like a very nice young prospect, 20-year-old uh, Lakshya Sen, who reached the semi-finals, right? So it's it's a good thing. We've got a pipeline. Uh, this hopefully uh, encourages other sports apart from cricket. Uh, actually, watching badminton like the, for the last few years, so one is living in Singapore where it is quite popular, as well as uh, uh, with the success of Indians. I think this is a sport which should get a lot more advertising money. It can be uh, wider participation for people. Uh, all of Indian uh, advertising money towards sport is like maybe gobbled up by cricket, right? So I think this is a very positive thing. Uh, hopefully, like wishing him all the best today afternoon when the game is, that uh, hopefully wins it and encourages a lot more people to take up sport. And uh, we also need like uh, different role models. I think the last Olympics was great. We had like a new hero coming up in terms of Neeraj Chopra, but we need this to be spread wider. And uh, uh, my long-term hope, India becomes a sports playing nation instead of just a sports watching nation. Absolutely. Great way of uh, putting it. And finally, uh, Harnas Sandhu, a Chandigarh-based model, has won the Miss Universe. She became the third Indian to win, win the title after Sushmita Sen in 1994 and Lara Datta in 2000. Following her win, both Sushmita and Lara reached out to her on social media and congratulated her. Uh, okay, Nirav, Prasanna, any thoughts? The first thing I would like to point out, she's 21 year old who won the Miss Universe and uh, she's not married yet. So like, you know, this kind of says that make your daughter's Miss Universe and beauty queens. So uh, that is one thing. The second thing is, see, I frankly believe 
uh, all of the ones, all the participants uh, who are there, uh, they're all like give or take equally good looking or beautiful. Uh, whatever, these are like kind of uh, uh, cosmetics companies who uh, uh, look at it and uh, they see wherever the potential for additional sales are. So I would like to say it in 94 and previously even Madhusapra is the finest, right? That was just after India's liberalization. I think the year 2000 was uh, just when like the dot-com uh, fear was there and then like the Indian uh, software companies became big and uh, a lot of outsourcing happened. So in 2021, I think this is more of a reflection of like Indian economy that it's had a near-term peak. Uh, so uh, this is why like cosmetics companies feel that there is enough spending power where we'll be able to spend money, right? We've had like recent years, maybe Miss Philippines winning when after the oil economy uh, in Venezuela was booming in the 90s. A lot of Miss Venezuela's winning Miss, uh, Miss Universe and Miss World, right? So I look at it as a very different angle. I think, yes, obviously, uh, 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 just being the part, being part of the contingent itself, like says that she's a winner, right? So it's a very positive thing. It's a nice thing. And like uh, one, my friend pointed out when I like discussed the same thing, he said, after 94 and after 2000, right? The following year saw a stock market crash. So <laughs> let's be cautious. This is the <laughs> index, right? Like the skyscraper index, the tallest skyscraper being built in a country, sees the economy, seeing a recession next year. So maybe this is one. So let's be cautious. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> uh, and let's hope this bucks the trend. So yeah, fascinating discussion today. We have, uh, you know, something coming up uh, next week where we're going to do a year-end special. This will be a year-end review sort of a thing. Uh, we'll have all of your favorite panelists and uh, talk about politics, policy, culture, all the key things that shaped uh, India today, right? And uh, this is something to look forward to. So again, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, this Sunday and uh, look forward to seeing you guys next week again. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Roshan. Wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, Prasanna. Thank you, Nirav.